Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are moving along in this awesome book of the Revelation. And of course, as we began this study, we have moved step by step from chapter 1 through tonight, chapter 16. And we are now at the climax of God's wrath and God's punishment being poured out on non-repentant and cold-hearted and faithless human beings. That's one of the lead statements of your sheet there tonight. We're at the climax of God's wrath being poured out on a very wicked world. Now, in Genesis, of course, we see God bring humanity in creation and into being. Genesis chapter 3, we see humanity fall into rebellion and sin against a very holy and righteous God. And of course, as we see Adam and Eve fall into sin and into disobedience, from that point forward, we see the Bible dealing with forgiveness, dealing with how to redeem their, their sin, how to redeem their decision to step away from God and how to forgive them and bring them back. In Revelation chapter 16, we see God removing a segment of the human population who will not accept His gift of forgiveness. Of course, we know that the central figure of the Bible is Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is about the revealing of Jesus as the Son of God. We see Jesus on every page of the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament. We see God's plan of redemption culminate in His Son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross, who shed His blood, who died for each one of us that we might be forgiven. He took our punishment on the cross so that we through faith may be forgiven. That is the culmination of God's plan of forgiveness. When Adam and Eve fell into sin and sin became such a part of this wicked world, God's plan of redemption is in His Son. Jesus. He brought us into being. He also gave us the plan of salvation. And what we see in Revelation is the truth that He has the right, He has the authority to take sinners out of this world. And that is a truth of God's Word. In fact, if you look in chapter 16, going to verse 5, it says this, And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. So in other words, as God is pouring out the climax of judgments, an angel says, you are right and righteous and holy in doing so. God has not stepped into cruelty, but rather he maintains his righteousness by punishing sin. Now let me recap the uh, progress of Revelation very quickly. Revelation chapter 5, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, receives the deed or the scroll of ownership of heaven and earth. He receives it from God the Father. We also know that He is the only one who could 
handle that deed. If you remember, when God is ready to hand the scroll of ownership over, all of heaven says there's no one here worthy to receive the scroll. But yes, there is. There is one and one alone who is worthy, and that is the Lamb, the Son of God, who died to redeem this world. He earned the right to obtain that scroll through the cross and through his resurrection from the grave, and he is the only one worthy to have the scroll. Now, at the point that God hands the scroll to Jesus, I remind you that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been raptured off of this earth. The light of the world in the church, the salt of the earth, has been raptured off of this earth. We are now in heaven with the Lord. Left behind are the lost and the unsaved. Left behind is a world that is going to be punished greatly for sin. God proceeds to pour out His wrath upon the earth. And, of course, that is called the Great Tribulation. But do remember during the seven years of the Great Tribulation that the gospel is going to be preached. The church is not here to do that. The church is gone. The church has been raptured. The people of God through Jesus Christ, known as Christians, are not on the earth anymore, but the gospel continues to be preached. And if you remember, it comes through evangelists from the nation of Israel, Jews who have come to Jesus as Savior, and 144,000 Jewish Christian evangelists have spread around the world. And it says that millions upon millions, uncounted numbers, come to Christ as Lord and Savior during the, the punishment and the the awfulness of the great tribulation. Its seven-year period presents an unprecedented time on this earth. There are events that are happening on the earth that have never happened to this point. Nature is in turmoil. In essence, what we see happening in the book of Revelation during the great tribulation is that the earth as a system is dying. You know, right now we think about our, we hear a lot about the greenhouse effects, the accumulation of carbon dioxide and the, dis, dismini, the diminishment of oxygen, the fact that our earth is, is starting to struggle because of uh, an imbalance there. But what we see in Revelation is the earth is literally dying. The seas are losing life. The grass is dying. The trees are dying. So the sources of oxygen to our atmosphere are dying away. We also see that the political system of the world is welcoming a leader. That leader is known as the Antichrist, and he is the son of Satan himself. And as he rises to power, he is collecting followers, those who actually worship him as God. Followers are coming to him along the way, and they are receiving a mark on their hand or on their forehead, and that mark identifies them directly with Satan. It is a mark that cannot be taken away. It is a mark like a tattoo or perhaps some computer type device that's uh, embedded in them, but it will not be taken away. However, as the multitudes are receiving the mark of the Antichrist, and if you remember during that, these uh, days of the Great Tribulation, to receive that mark makes you free to participate in the system of the world. It allows you to buy food. It allows you to buy property. It allows you to live as a citizen of the world in those days. But if you refuse the mark and all of God's people are told by God, commanded by God, do not receive that mark of Satan on your body. But for those who refuse the mark, those who follow the Antichrist, uh, 
and receiving the mark, while they can participate in the system, those who refuse the mark cannot. And they are going to be starved. They're going to be punished. They're going to be naked. They're going to be homeless. Anyone as a follower of God through Jesus Christ who refuses that mark will be greatly persecuted, greatly punished. But Jesus tells them, you hold firm. Do not give in. Do not receive the mark. Stay true to the Lord Jesus Christ. You stay firm through these days. You remain faithful to me in these days of great persecution, and you will be greatly rewarded for all eternity. And that's what we see in the book. The great tribulation is poured out. Jesus breaks each one of the seven seals on that scroll of ownership that God the Father gives him in chapter 5. And with the breaking of every seal, we see a great tribulation poured out upon the earth. Jesus comes to seal number 7. And when he gets to seal number 7, there are different things that happen when that one seal is broken. When seal number 7 is broken, seven trumpets blow And with each one of the trumpets blowing under seal number seven, a wrath or a a wrath of God is, is poured out. Now, when the seventh trumpet of the seventh seal blows, seven bowls, or King James Version says, seven vials of wrath are poured out. And this indeed is the pinnacle of God's punishment delivered to the earth. This is the pinnacle of God's wrath given to the earth for sin and unrighteousness and wickedness and rebellion. Now, so we have the seventh seal, seven trumpets. With each blowing of a trumpet, there is a great tribulation poured out. When the seventh trumpet blows, seven bowls of wrath are poured out. So the last sermon that uh, we heard last week, we studied five of those bowls of judgment. Let me give them to you very quickly. Bowl number one is hideous sores on people. Bowl number two, the seas become thick and clotted as the blood of a corpse. And of course, with that comes the death of all the life in the seas. Nothing can survive in that kind of environment. Bowl number three, freshwater supplies of the earth are polluted, undrinkable. Bowl number four, the sun heats up so that it scorches people. It becomes a very deadly killer in the heat. Bowl number five, darkness covers the earth. Isn't that interesting? There's a a great separation there. The sun heats up, but darkness sets in. Now, darkness is physical, but I also believe that this symbolizes the moral and the spiritual darkness that's on the earth at that time. And God is pouring out his wrath against that, the rebellion against him. Now, remember, the door of heaven is still very much open. People during these days still and will be saved. Uh, These bowls of wrath that you hear, as, as bad as they sound, they are like child's play when they're compared to hell and what the unsaved will face in hell. So the Lord then is using extreme measures to say, turn to me. I will redeem you. I will heal you. I will promise you an eternal future. I will give you my son, Jesus Christ. So God is using these extreme measures in these last days to draw the last of the earth's population to his son, Jesus, as Savior. However, 
Instead of seeing the need for the Savior, many people in these days, according to Revelation chapter 16, verse 11, they continue to curse and blaspheme the very name of God. So the world will not repent of adultery and wickedness and rebellion and sin. As they go through these tribulations, they further curse our God. So tonight, we're going to look at the final two bowls of wrath, those two final vials of wrath poured out. And these two vials or bowls of wrath complete the great tribulation. So look with me to Revelation chapter 16, go to verse 12, and we will read through the last verse 21. Revelation 16, verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not, since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every sto stone about the weight of a talent." And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. May God add His blessing to the reading of this precious portion of His Word as we see the climax of the great tribulation. The sixth bowl of God's wrath leads forth the greatest war ever to be fought on the soil of the earth. And, of course, you know the name of that battle is the Battle of Armageddon. As the sixth bowl is delivered to the earth, the Euphrates River is dried up. Now, that river is a huge water supply to this region of the earth. The Euphrates River is called the Great River five times in Scripture. The Euphrates River is called the Great River in Revelation 9.14. Uh, Genesis 15, 18, Deuteronomy 1, 7, and Joshua 1, 4. The Euphrates River is about 1,800 miles long. It begins on the slopes of Mount Ararat. Does that ring a bell? Mount Ararat where Noah's ark came to rest in Genesis chapter 8, verse 4. 
It begins as a river on those slopes of Mount Ararat. It runs 1,800 miles and dumps into the Persian Gulf. At, there are points at which the river is 3,600 feet wide, and it is 30 feet deep in some places. If you remember from the Daniel study, this is the river that ran directly through the great city of Babylon ran under the protective walls on one end and out of the protective walls on the other and supplied the great city of gold with water. Now the great river forms the eastern boundary of the land that God promised to Israel. And God dries up the river, and if you'll notice, it says in Scripture why He dried up that river. If I can find it quickly, here it is in, in verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up. And listen, here's why. That the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So there was a reason the great Euphrates River was dried up. God dries it up so that the armies of the east can come to fight in this great battle of Armageddon so that they can get across the land mass to get where they need to be in order to participate in this awesome battle of the earth. So God is drying up the river in preparation for Armageddon to take place. Why do you think a war of this magnitude could develop in this day of great tribulation? I believe that the answer to why a war like this would come about in the great tribulation is really very simple. All the nations of the world according to Revelation, know that God is causing these great plagues to fall upon them. Nations know that the plagues are coming from God Almighty. And those that are blaspheming and those who express hatred to God want to continue expressing hatred. And so all the nations who hate God, who sending the plagues, sending the plagues say with one voice, let's go kill the nation that God loves. Let's go decimate the nation of Israel, the nation that belongs to God. So rather than say as nations, let us fall before our God through Jesus Christ, let's turn away and ask the Lord for forgiveness and move forward in God's plan for us. Rather than do that, the nations in response to the plagues express hatred and rebellion now, Revelation says that there are three foul spirits that come from the mouths of the Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan. Now, I'm sure that you know exactly who the Antichrist is as the world's leader of the day. You know exactly who Satan is. Do remember that the false prophet is, is the Antichrist's spokesman. He is the one sometimes who will speak the Antichrist words, but he speaks in the Antichrist place. So it's like Father, Son, Holy Spirit is the Holy Trinity. The Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan are the unholy trinity. The demons, according to John, who writes this revelation, look like frogs. Now, according to the Old Testament, and, of course, according to our uh, experience with frogs, we know that they're slimy little animals uh, and sometimes live in what we might think are unclean places. So these demons are ugly. These demons that look like frogs, they're not frogs, they look like frogs. They are ugly, they are loathsome, and they afflict the hearts and the minds of the kings of the earth 
And the kings of the earth then are led by Satan to rally together to do battle against God's people in Palestine, in Israel. So as the nations conspire to war against God, some over 200 million foot soldiers will enter into the theater of Armageddon for this battle. Napoleon Bonaparte said that when he saw this valley where Armageddon would take place, he said there was no greater place on the world that could be used as a battlefield than that theater where Armageddon would take place. When the unsaved world comes against the holy God in war, we know as we've read the book that he will utterly, utterly destroy the soldiers and the leaders who come against him in battle. Revelation 14.20 says that these soldiers' blood will be shed in this valley, and we've studied this passage in chapter 14, and that their blood would rise up to the horses' bridles. So in, in places in the valley, the blood will, will rise some four feet or more deep from God's destruction of those who come against him. There also is, and uh, this comes from some uh, study that I've done recently, but there's a miniature picture of Armageddon in the Gospels. In John chapter 18, the soldiers are led by Judas Iscariot to come to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they arrest Jesus Christ, and they are coming toward God with swords, with clubs, with rocks, and Jesus says, whom do you seek? And the soldiers say, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus says, I am he. And when he identifies himself as Jesus, Scripture says that they went backward and fell to the ground. Jesus' word from his mouth could have destroyed every one of those soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he said, I am he, they fell backwards. He could have, in his power, destroyed every one of them. However, by his grace, he allowed them to live, and they stood back up, and they arrested him. He could have destroyed them, but rather he allowed them ultimately to take him to the cross. When Armageddon comes, as God's unbridled anger burns toward unrepentance and toward wickedness and hard-heartedness, I believe he's going to say something kin to the words that he spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, I am that I am. When Jesus identified himself as God, I am he, and the soldiers fell backwards, I believe that Although it's not stated here, I believe that there will be some similarity as God identifies himself to the soldiers at Armageddon, I am that I am. I am God. And the nations in the, the heat of this battle, in the blink of an eye, by the word of God, will be destroyed. Let's look ahead a little bit. We have another glimpse of Armageddon in chapter 19. So keep your finger there at 16. Turn with me to chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 21, which is the last verse of chapter 19. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. 
But you notice where does the sword come from? It comes from his mouth. It is the word of God that does the destruction. So with the destruction of the armies of the earth, bowl number seven, the last plague of the last trumpet of the last seal of the scroll has now been poured out. When bowl number seven is upturned on the earth, God's mighty voice is going to ring in heaven. It is done. Now, of course, you remember on the cross, Jesus spoke three words just before his death on the cross. It is finished. There are two different meanings to those two statements. When Jesus said, it is finished, he is saying the plan of redemption so that anyone who comes to me in faith, the plan is finished as I die on this old rugged cross, shedding my blood so that any sinner can be saved, the plan is now finished. It is completed. It is done. The plan is finished. But when God says it is done, it's meaning the last soul has now been saved. So Jesus on the cross throws the door of salvation open. The plan is finished. Anyone now can come. The door is open. When God says at the battle of Armageddon, it is done, he is saying the door is now closed. Jesus opens the door. God closes the door. The great tribulation comes to an end, and it is over, and the earth is going to be shaken by an earthquake that is of greater intensity than any earthquake that has ever occurred on earth before. Now look at verse 19, chapter 16, verse 19. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. The great city. The great city is Jerusalem. And it says that Jerusalem is broken now into three parts. This is not destructive. But rather, when it's talking about three parts, of course, you know in biblical study that the number three is the number of completion and perfection. So Jerusalem is now divided into three sections or three parts, and this is actually an improvement of the city as God is preparing it to be Jesus' headquarters for the thousand-year reign in the millennium. But every other city of the earth is utterly destroyed, and this earthquake is going to radically change the earth. Mountains are going to fall, valleys are going to fill in, and the earth's surface is going to be more leveled because this earthquake comes through and shakes the entire surface of the earth. Finally, chapter 16 says that a great storm also afflicts the earth, that hailstones, the weight of a talent, fall on sinful people. Now, a talent is roughly the weight that a man can carry, roughly 100 pounds. So again, we see in chapter 16, verse 21, that while this great hailstorm is taking place, these hundred-pound hailstones are falling upon sin. What does it say in verse 21? That men continue to blaspheme. 
Men continue to curse God. They have no desire to turn to Him, even in the midst of great tribulation. This is a terrible scene of destruction as we see what happens with bowls 6 and 7. But God is, by His authority, by His right, God is cleansing and purging and purifying His fallen creation. Well, let me draw it all to a close with one verse. Look back, chapter 16, verse 15. I want you to notice these words. Notice if you have a red-letter Bible, these words are words of Jesus. It's the only red verse in chapter 16. So these are words from the Lord. And Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. This is a warning, and it is also an invitation. Jesus is saying to every unsaved person, I am going to come unexpectedly. I am going to come quickly. Uh, That is true at the end of the great tribulation. It is also true as the church is looking forward to being raptured away. And Jesus says, I'm going to come when you least expect it. And here's what I want to tell you. Be ready. Be ready. Don't believe that I'm going to break through the clouds and you're going to get ready at that point. When Jesus says, I come quickly, it means he's going to come in that blink of an eye where decisions are sealed. And there will be no time to renew your contract with God. It won't be any time for you to renew your commitment or to do do something good for the Lord in that moment that he comes. The time is gone. I come quickly means everything is going to be sealed just as it is. So Jesus says, as you look for me to come, be ready for me. Be ready any moment that I may come for you. So the picture here paints a very clear picture. Have you ever been doing something and someone walks in on you and you are immediately ashamed that they saw you? I think probably, especially maybe from childhood days or sometimes we can remember those moments. That's the picture here. Jesus says, I could come at any second, and when I come, I want to find you faithful. When I break through, don't be ashamed. I want to find you working and serving and loving me faithfully. Christian, should he come in any minute, Will he find us faithful? Will he find us working? Will he find us being servants? I believe there are some even who claim the name of Christ who will be ashamed when he breaks through the clouds and they're not doing what he called them to do. There are so many, I believe, who will say, Lord, I had really good intentions. I was going to clean up my act. I was going to do better. I was going to get into your word. I was going to start church. I was going to get involved in ministry. I was going to be a servant. But when he breaks through, there won't be time for that anymore. And there will be some who are ashamed. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Write that reference down. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. John, who is the same writer of Revelation as 1 John, says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 
We are to be ready. We are to be prepared, and we are to be working. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's his directive for us tonight. If he should come for his church in the next second or the next five years or ten years, I pray that if it's a moment that we're still walking walking the soil of this earth, that he will find us faithful. If we are gone from this earth as far as our earthly life has been concluded, I pray that he will be able to say to us, well done. You were faithful to me and you finished well. So tonight I pray for all of us, including myself, that we will rededicate our lives to serving him in a way that if he were to break through at any moment, we will not be ashamed, but we will be ready.